Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, Great to be here with us as a family. Um, As Neil said, um, we've got two preachers this morning, Um, one sermon, two preachers. Uh, I've been spending some time working with Russell, uh, who's down here nervously waiting to come up. Um, and Russell's been uh, a real blessing to me. He's given up some of his days off um, to come and spend time with me, looking at the Bible together. And as we spent that time together, I've really been able to see that Russell has a heart for the words, cares about the Bible, he cares about truth. And so I wanted to give him the opportunity to speak with me this morning, to preach with me this morning. So I'm going to kick us off uh, in a moment. We're going to read the passage, um, and then Russell's going to take over uh, to preach through the first part of that passage, and then I'll come back up. Uh, to take us through to the end. Um, So it's a bit different this morning, but it's always worth trying new things, otherwise we never find out if they work. Um, But we're reading from uh, Philippians 2 uh, this morning, and uh, it should should come up here, and it, it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth that it contains, uh, truth that is there to challenge, guide, comfort us. Just pray, Lord God, that uh, you'd use me and Russell this morning to proclaim your truth in this place. Help us as a family, as a church family, to be open to what it is you want to say to us. Let our hearts be soft to the work of your spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Russell. Is this on? Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, um, so, as Craig said, my name is Russell. Um, I'm a member here of BFC, uh, married to Marika just over there. And we have two uh, little boys as well here with us. And we've been here for just under a year, I think now, just over a year, a year roughly. Um, we moved uh, here in September last year, actually, from Dubai. We were living in Dubai for five years. My job took me to Dubai. and. Um, the way things worked out, and then God put us here, and we're really happy to be a part of this uh, church family. Uh, as I said, my work took me to Dubai, and one of the great things that that job was, was they provided a pickup service to and from my house to work with a driver, and it was, it was brilliant. Um, sometimes we would share cars with, if somebody, a colleague of mine lived in the same area as me, and it was quite a luxury experience, to be honest. Um, 
But in that situation, then, you had a lot of time to and from work to speak with the colleagues about things. And one of the things that I got really, really good at speaking about was moaning. <laughs> moaning about everything. If I could moan about my job, the city, um, the management, uh, pretty much anyone, I was like the hero of moaning and grumbling. And it was kind of something that you could relate to people at it. it just, if I start moaning, they start moaning, and they oh, great, we've got a good connection. <laughs> um, and this one day, I was coming back from work with this colleague of mine, and I, I was on fire. I was just like giving everything on the way back home. I was like, everything's wrong with this place. Oh, why am I here? Uh, just, I was on fire. And then he, he just sat, listened, nodded, he was very polite. And then all of a sudden, I said to him, I said, okay, well, how do you feel? And then he looked at me and he said, you know what, I'm a born-again Christian and my wife and I are really happy here. We have a great church that we're part of and we just are really thankful for what the Lord has done for us. And I just, I don't know if, you can, if you've been in a situation where everything inside of me just went, Bleh. I couldn't even say to him, oh, me too, I'm a Christian as well, because I completely just destroyed whatever bit of testimony that I did have by all that complaining. And all I could do for the rest of the drive home was just look out the window and just all my bravado that I thought I had was completely gone. And I got home to Marika and I was just like, oh, what am I doing? So um, I'm sure we've been in the situation, all of us in our walk with the Lord, we've had a moment like this. And so when Craig asked me to uh, do a tag preach with him and this came up, I was like, yeah, Moaning and grumbling, that's a bit professional, so this is quite good. Um, also, one thing I like about this passage is working out. Got to work out. I'm not a big fan of working out myself. So I thought, okay, Lord, is this something you want me to start doing? I've got to work out. Um, but what is it to work out? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of just always have just gone over this passage and forgotten about it and go, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to. Yes, Lord, rejoice, thank you. But what is going on here? You know, what is it to mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? There's a lot going on, so we can get to the what, the how, the why, the when and the where. So let's start with what. This term, work out, what does it mean? Well, it's got quite a few connotations in today's world. You can go to the gym to work out, like I said. We should go to the gym in my case. Uh, you're doing a lot of physical work, but maybe nothing thinking-wise, pretty mindless. Or you can work out your mind doing things that are uh, mental problems. You can work them out. Not much physical lifting, but you're doing some serious brain tissue movement. Uh, we can think of this working out as anywhere in between those two. Physical work, doing things, or even just uh, thinking, saying, praying. Not so physical but mental. So, when you go to the gym to work out, you don't actually get new muscles when you're working out. You're, you're exercising what you already have. The same way when you're working out problems. You're not getting new brain tissue. You're working out what you already have. And you don't see results after just one session. <laughs> I wish we did, but you don't. It's a lifestyle choice. When you go to the gym and you choose to be healthy, you've got to go consistently. 
being consistent with your physical working out, and you slowly see results. The same way with your spiritual health. Reading a Bible verse, saying a prayer once in a while, just doesn't stretch your spiritual muscles. It must be continual choice to read the Bible, pray, spend time with the Lord. Paul says here, continue. It's a, it's a present tense statement. It's, a, it's an action. It's a continuing action. It's here. Work out now. And it's easy to notice when you are physically unhealthy, when you uh, walk up a hill, you get to the top and you go, man, I need to go to the gym. But how often do we go with our spiritual health? Oh, man, I'm spiritually unhealthy. I need to work out my spiritual muscles more. We don't really do that. And um, when we don't work out our salvation, we can become spiritually unhealthy. And that's exactly what happened to me in that car journey. I wasn't working out my salvation. And it, and it can really hamper our testimony for the Lord. So j- just to be clear, uh, this working out, it's not work for. As I said earlier, you don't get new muscles or new brain tissue. You're working out what you already have. Because... There's nothing that we can do ourselves to earn our salvation. We are already saved. And we are saved by grace alone. This is not working for salvation. We can't do that. We already have it. We're saved by grace alone. And it's the gift of Jesus into our lives. So it's along the lines of live it out. Day by day, making decisions that honor the Lord in the way we conduct ourselves in our homes, places we work, and how we interact with uh, one another, and how we interact with people in the world and not just us. So how do we do this? Paul, actually, in previous verses, gives examples of working out our salvation. I think, is it on the... Maybe there. There we go. Um, This is just in the previous chapter. Actually, no, even in this chapter, chapter 2. And we can go through them all, and you can see how Paul is constantly trying to say, come on, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, being unified. Value others above yourself. Look out for the interests of others above yourself, and have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's just a, such a short amount of things to do, and yet it's in the same chapter. Uh, there's really an endless list of ways to consider how to work out your salvation. Jesus was the perfect human, and it's a bit corny, but the good old WWJD, uh, what would Jesus do? It's actually a really good cue for asking yourself, what, what would Jesus do in this situation, and how can I follow his example in working out my salvation in this situation? In the New Testament, you may have heard this word, This process is called sanctification. In Hebrews 10.14 it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus has given us his perfection, and we can start living our lives emulating that and emulating him continuously. God chooses to see us as righteous without any of our own works, by faith alone. So now we can start living lives worthy of that perfection. Not to get saved, but because we're saved. John Piper puts it this way. Because of that righteousness, we spend our lifetimes becoming 
what we already are. This uh, seeming paradox is actually unique to us, as all other religions are trying to get saved. God has reached down and he's freely given us his salvation. Paul then goes on to say, we should take working it out, we should not take working it out lightly, but approach it with fear and trembling. Words like this are not used so much today. We don't really think in these terms of fearing and trembling. But another way to say this is, fear and trembling of God is reverential awe of who he is and what he's done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This awe, this fear, and this trembling of God is what should be at the forefront of our thinking and why we live our lives the way we do. Psalm 2.11 also says it nicely. It says, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. That's in the NIV. Uh, the CSB says, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. I think that really captures the meaning of that nicely. Um, so imagine somebody that you admire greatly, right? A childhood hero, a movie star, the queen, um, and they're coming over for dinner to your house. How would you feel? You'd be nervous, I'm sure, a bit like me, a bit of something in the bottom of your stomach, uh, an excitement, an anxiousness. You'd make sure that the house is clean, food's good, you'd be waiting for their arrival with bated breath. And then you see them, and your heart does a skip, and yeah, it's a great evening, you're amazed. Do we wait upon the Lord with that same feeling of excitement and anxiousness? In Luke 5, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and it goes on to say that the crowd's response was amazement, they were filled with awe, and they gave praise to God. So how much has Jesus done for us through this? He made the heavens and the earth. This is his creation. And fearing and trembling, reverential awe of who he is, it's the right response when we remember who God is. So through all of this now, is Paul basically saying, right, you know all the good stuff, go. Be a saint, good luck, you're on your own. <laughs> I wish. No, we can't do that. He goes on to say that this sanctification, it's a fundamental work of God in us, not us in ourselves. You could put it like this. Justification is God accepting us, and sanctification is God changing us. Let's never forget that it's always God, and not us, who's doing the changing to continually work out our salvation. And we have to remember to have that reverential awe Always. I wasn't working out my salvation in that car journey. But that other guy, and I don't even remember what his name was, I'll meet him one day in heaven, I think, and I'll say to him what impact it had on me. But in that simple way of him choosing not to moan and groan with me, to be thankful for what the Lord has done for him, even if he was feeling moaning and groaning, he chose to be thankful. And he was working out his salvation in that one moment. Just before uh, Paul talks about working out his salvation, 
he's actually commending the Philippians on their obedience through all of this while he was there, but also even more so after he had left them. How often do we do things when we know we'll be seen throughout in the limelight? We know we're going to be held accountable for these actions. We'll be seen by people. But what if we could continue our obedience to these instructions when no one's around, when you will not be held accountable, where you won't be rewarded, where you might even be punished or wronged for doing the right thing? The Lord always uses moments like this because it gives us an opportunity to work out our salvation with honest motives as well. Those motives should always be about bringing glory to God and not ourselves because it's all about Jesus. And in those unseen moments, it gives us the opportunity to do that. But remember, God always sees and knowing he sees us in everything should excite us, but move us to fear him as well, because yes, I may be seen negatively doing the right, but God sees my heart and my motives. And likewise, when we choose not to be obedient, he sees our hearts then, and the opportunities that we did have to live it out, but we chose not to. So now why? Why, why do this? Why do we have to work out? Why not just snap, done, you're sanctified, off you go, boom, great job, Lord, done. You could put it this way, remember when you were younger and you came home from school and you've got your nice thick wad of homework to do, if it could have just been where your parents had just gone, don't worry, don't worry, we'll do it all for you, enjoy the good grades and go out, have fun, but you would know that when it came to the exams, you would completely fail because you would have not done any of the work. We had to do the work ourselves to understand the material. And if, they hadn't done it, if we hadn't have done it ourselves, it would have been actually unkind of our parents to us because they understood the importance it was for the exams coming up. The same way our Heavenly Father understands the importance of us practicing it ourselves. And he urges and he cheers us on and gives us everything that we need to handle this work. And then when we're faced with trials in life, we have the tools to excel. And as it goes on to say, we too will shine like stars in the world. Uh, as Tim Blaber, who was here a couple of weeks ago, he preached, and I recommend you listen to that sermon on the podcast. It's really good. He's talking about abundant life and what it means to have an abundant life with Jesus. And knowing him and knowing him intimately, it leads to this. It leads to that abundant life. And these acts of working out will just flow from that place of knowing who Jesus is. So finally, when and where do we do this? Well, every day, everywhere, with everyone. When we're alone, with our friends, family, colleagues, at home, at work, let's always ask the Lord to help us 
work out our salvation in everything that we do. Thank you. Well done, Russell. Brilliant. Right, so as, as Russell's opened up for us, we have a, a call on our lives to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's an active thing. It's a positive thing. You know, it's not a sit back and do nothing. It's like actively seek. You know, you've been saved, therefore do. Go. We're to be a people in awe at the wonder of God's salvation plan. That he would choose people even like us. Uh, to know his salvation and his freedom. He'd choose people like you and me and use us for his good purpose. God doesn't need us to proclaim his glory because his glory is present all around us in creation. You know, working out our salvation isn't a matter of need but a matter of call. God chooses to call and use his followers for his good purpose, showing his greatness through our failings, his power in our weakness. Our passage for today goes on to exhort us not to grumble and argue so that we might be blameless and pure, recognisably children of God, faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. We all know what arguing is, don't we? But what about grumbling? Grumbling's that low murmur. It's an attitude of discontent that we perpetuate and push on and push on. It's addictive, like Russell said. You know, you, you get a bit of grumbling going on and everyone crowds in. Going, what's, what's the problem over here? Everyone wants a piece of it. An attitude of discontent that isn't constructive, isn't edifying, and it's something that spreads like a virus, unless it's countered. And you know what? That, that part of the passage really scares me. You might be here this morning thinking to yourself, yeah, I can, I can see the workout part of this passage and I feel called to it. But you could well be like me. You could be struck with embarrassment when considering the call not to grumble and argue, to be blameless and pure, faultless in a crooked generation. And this scares me because I all too easily see the crookedness and brokenness in my own life. How am I supposed to be blameless and pure? Part of this seems to come down to, as we've discovered through this whole series, of how we treat one another, how those around us, outside of church, see us treating one another. You see, our, our witness to a broken world isn't always in our words, but so often comes down to what's visible. What are we doing? What are we showing? Do people see us grumbling and arguing amongst ourselves? Do they hear about it? Do they see it even? Grumbling and arguing proves us to be just like everybody else. And sometimes it's great to be just like everyone else. You know, we don't want, you know, I know we often talk about, oh, we don't want to be weird Christians. You know, we were just like everyone else. We don't want people to think we're weird and feel put off. But sometimes it's really not good to look like everyone else. It's really not helpful. In the case of church life and within the church family, arguing and grumbling is just, just, just shouldn't be there. You know, we encourage and exhort people to greater things. We don't grumble and argue amongst ourselves. And the saddest thing when I, when I was looking at this um, is that I've actually, I've got, a, some of you might just nod and agree, but I've got a bit of experience of the impact uh, that grumbling and arguing has. 
In fact, in my last church, I was a part of the problem home group. I was a younger Christian and I got swept up in this where everyone would gather around, complain about the leadership, encourage one another to argue with the leaders of the church. And in the end, it just led to this horrible, horrible situation in the church that everyone knew about. No one was unaware of this. It contributed to a church discipline situation, which is just, just not a good thing to happen. And if you ever happen to wonder why I go on and on about church unity... On and on about church family. You know, I've got biblical evidence for it as well, but if you want to find the extra biblical stuff, it's it's that. It's because I've been through it. I've done it. I've done the grumbling and complaining. I've caused the problems. Yeah, but the the good thing about all this was that when I finally came to leave that church, a couple of years later, everything got resolved. We left on good terms. Um, Everything was was great. Uh, And I've since been in touch with them and been to see them. And I've apologised for being a foolish younger Christian and things I did. Um, And, uh, you know, all good stuff. But it meant when I came here, I set out to get alongside and support the leadership of the church. I wanted to make sure that I was on board with what they were doing, not doing anything behind the leadership's backs. And it caused me a load of stress trying to honour the leaders and do what I felt God calling me to do. You can always tell when I'm stressed and I'm at my highest level because I get really bad eczema and it comes all over my face. And I haven't had that for a long time. But I have had that and I have struggled with it. Fortunately, you know, we've had good leaders in this church over its history. And I was encouraged by the leadership to step up and step out. And there are, there are people here who I know could easily testify to the fact that I haven't always made the best decisions. Haven't always got it right through these past eight years, but I certainly hope that people have known that my intention has always been to support and love the church, to avoid grumbling and arguing in this church family. There's a classic saying I'm sure we're all familiar with, and that's misery loves company. So often, just like in the culture that Russell described, and in in my work history as well, the same sort of thing, the complainants gather together to complain, to grumble and argue and dispute. And when this culture forms, it's incredibly difficult to break it down. It's divisive. It's addictive. Grumbling and arguing are dangerous things. If you remember back to the Israelites as they're coming, uh, you know, uh, coming to get ready to enter the promised land. Only to hear that it had giants in it. Everyone was scared. They wailed and grumbled and argued with Moses, wishing to go back to Egypt. All they they, they had, had the promised land in front of them, and they decided the better thing was to go back and go back into slavery. You know, not months before, they'd seen the plagues descend on Egypt. The sea split in two as they walked across on dry land. The sea crashed back down and wiped out the Egyptian army. God supplied food from heaven. His appearance in the cloud, in the thunder and the lightning at the mountain. In all their grumbling and complaining about a distraction to their obedience, they'd forgotten God. They'd seen him do all these marvellous things and they'd completely forgotten all that he had done before their very eyes. You know, the salvation he'd gifted them. You know, the Exodus story is a story of salvation. There's a key lesson here for us to consider. When we grumble behind closed doors or to the faces of our brothers and sisters in this place, so often over trivial things or a decision that's been made or where the church seems to be heading when the whole story isn't apparent to us, it can highlight an issue that we've forgotten all about who it's all about. God, 
Jesus, the one who provides salvation, the one that we gather to worship. Grumbling and arguing takes the focus off of God and onto something else. It hardens our heart to worship, to hearing the word preached, and it puts a stopper in the flow of unity. Grumbling and arguing is a poor witness to the world around us. When churches grumble and argue against each other, the world looks on and wonders, which is why we seek to always love and speak positively towards the churches in this village, because I want this village to know the churches are together, that we're here because we love Jesus. When a church grumbles and argues within its walls, physical or the walls of church family, and the world looks in, again, they wonder. Why on earth would people seek the good news of Jesus when all they see are grumblers and arguments? In the early church, the disciples of Jesus were known for the joy that they held, a joy found in their salvation of being free from the weight and expectation of the world, free from the power of sin, a joy found in the gift of eternal life, eyes set on a saviour who invited them to live in the good of his resurrection in the imminent, in the now, knowing that in the eternal, freedom and fullness of salvation awaits us. Let us be a church who avoids the grumbling. Let us be a church who walks in the fullness of joy found in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Paul calls us in this letter to live lives that are not our own. He calls us to forego the worldly temptations and desires, whether that be the next best thing, or indeed the temptation to grumble and dispute with one another. He calls us to be pure and blameless so that we stand out in the midst of the generation we find ourselves in, that we might be beacons of light, stars that stand out against the darkness of a blackened sky. We're torchbearers. We're those called not to cover our brightness with a basket of grumbling and disputing, but to walk in freedom declaring by the very way that we live and relate to one another as a church family the power of God to save and transform lives. The way we live, the way we treat each other, the way we uh, appear to the outside world should declare the goodness of Christ. Let us shine to our fullness so that we can be beacons in this world. We can be beacons in this village and the surrounding villages. What does Jesus offer you, since this is part of our joy series, it stands for what Jesus offers you. He offers you a call and empowerment for righteous living, for living righteously, for living in a manner that is an outworking of our salvation. Yeah, that's where we're at. Okay, that's the work out your salvation. It is an active working out of your salvation, like Russell shared. Uh, Commission prayer and fasting this week, Duncan Lee from God First Christ Church said, transformed lives transform lives. It is the witness of a life transformed by Jesus that results in more and more people coming to discover transformed living for themselves. Lives transformed by Jesus. It's not about our hard work, our trying to appear better than we are. It's about the work of Jesus in our lives. He's the one who does the transformation. You know, I've loved how in the past year or two we've had more and more people coming to find out about about the church because they've seen a change in their friends' lives. In doing so, they've had an encounter with Jesus. 
our risen Lord and they've come to follow him for themselves. They've seen a change because people have been transformed by him. In his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, he made right relationship with God possible. Jesus gives us new life. He gives us salvation if we confess he is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, believe that he was raised from the dead. My hope is to see new salvation in this place. Week after week, after week, after month, after year. We want to be a place of salvation, don't we? Yeah? Billingshurst Family Church exists to be a light to the community, to shine brightly against the dark sky and proclaim the love of Christ to a world that needs him and his saving power. As more and more people encounter us, my prayer is that they encounter a people who are actively casting off the old way of things, resolving the disputes, pushing aside the temptation to grumble, a people who are enamoured, completely caught up by the saving grace of Jesus, forever thankful at all that he's done to take us out of that slimy pit he found us in, thankful for the rock upon which he has placed us so that we may grow and flourish. Let's pray. Does the band want to come back up? Almighty God, we come as a people who want to serve you, love you, be obedient to you, all that you're calling us to, Lord. And in your word, it seems like you're saying to us that we need to follow you, we need to take account of what we're doing. Lord, I just pray that even this very moment, You'd be highlighting things in our own lives. I can think of so many in mine, Lord, but highlighting things in our own lives that are becoming a distraction to following you, to being obedient to you, that are causing us to grumble and argue and um, whatever else it is that's distracting us away from you. Just pray, Lord, by your spirit now, you'd be opening our hearts and showing us where you want to challenge us, where you want to change us, Lord, I thank you that you offer us forgiveness. You offer us opportunity to make right with our brothers and sisters where wrong has been done. You offer us opportunity to come to you and and recognise that we've got distracted, that we've focused on the grumble rather than the Lord. So Lord, I pray that as we, we're going to worship now, but Lord, I pray that as we worship, you'd be speaking to us that you'd be encouraging us to get these things right before you um, so that we can go away today and really work out our salvation, really live it out, because that's the abundant life you call us to, Lord. Yeah, so be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we're going to have a bit of worship. We are going to worship, rather than just have a bit of it. Um, but I've got some things for us to consider And they should hopefully be up here in just a moment. Or is it frozen? No, it's there. Okay. So a question for us all. How are we doing at living righteously? Now maybe we're struggling at grumbling and complaining. Maybe there's something in our lives preventing us from living in the goodness of the cross. Living in the goodness of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, and as I was preparing, I just realized, you know what? 
Righteous living comes through seeking forgiveness. It's recognizing that we don't have it all right and that we need to come before the king uh, and come to one another and um, seek forgiveness. James tells us, you know, to confess your sins to one another. Uh, And if there's something that you know of that stands between you and God, your relationship with God, or stands between you and a brother or sister in this place this morning, I encourage you, make it right. We're not a church who sits there and just waits for everything to happen around us or hopes that something will change. We're we're active. We work out our salvation. Um, So I've just put a little thing up here about seeking forgiveness from God and those you need to. By confessing your sin, be honest, say what you got wrong, or say where an attitude is wrong, repent of it, choose to turn away from it. So pray all this stuff through, repent of it, choose to turn away from it. I don't want anything to do with that anymore, Lord. That's the point we're going to, okay? So we're asking forgiveness. Lord God, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I want to go your way. And we're saying, Lord God, I want to go your way. We think about what would Jesus do in any situation that we're, that we're, that we're dealing with, any sin. You know, what, would, what could we have done? How can we you know, make that right with our brothers and sisters? Everyone follow? Let's stand. So Tasha's going to lead us. Ministry team are around. They've got blue lanyards. Uh, Nick's got one. Um, Neil's got one. And there are others around. I've got one as well. But let me encourage you. This is a time to be a church family. Yeah? So we come to one another. You don't have to go to someone with a blue tag. Find someone that you, you know and trust. Pray with them. If you don't know someone you want to pray, I'm here. Russell's here. Neil's up here as well. So anyone who's a blue lanyard you can grab. But, um, let's worship him.